0: Amen. You may be seated. Just a question. Isn't it nice to know that you are loved by God? Now, come on, that was a terrible response. Isn't it nice to know that you're loved by God? Amen. See, here's what I know about me. I am wretched, I am depraved, and I am sinful. And I know that despite... you go, Trent, let me give it to you. Despite my, my issues, despite my behavior, despite my failures... I am loved, and I, and I just want to pause there for a minute before we get into today, and just want you to recognize something, that despite where you find yourself this morning, and you, you know, we all know our own mistakes, don't we? all know our own flaws, our own sins, we all know the own wickedness of our heart, but at the end of the day, God knows you inside, He knows everything about you, and yet what we just sang was a declaration that is truth, that how He loves us, and I love the line that says, if grace were an ocean, we'd all be sinking. And I'm just telling you, today, you need to leave here and know here today that you are loved by God. I know we fail. I know we blow it. I know we know our own propensities and and our own deceitfulness. But at the end of the day, you are loved by God. There's nothing you've done that's taking you out of the scope of God's grace. Isn't that good news this morning? And I hope you believe that. I hope you know it. I hope the song we just sang wasn't just a song that was great, that you know, that's the words on the screens, but you sang it because you meant it and you knew, I'm loved by him. I'm loved by the creator of the universe who's mindful of me. And listen, he knows my name and he loves me. Man, that's a great truth today. If you have your Bibles, I want to continue in our series in Matthew, chapter 6, where we're going to be today. And if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been doing this series called Getting the Story Straight. And probably my favorite thing about this series has been this, is that Jesus has been crystal clear about his expectations and the standard of living that he expects out of every person who follows him. And if you look at chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus is so clear about what he expects out of those people who are going to call themselves Followers of Jesus, he tells us exactly what he expects of us and how we're to live our lives. And he talks about crazy stuff like loving our enemies, right? I mean, how many of us are on board for that one? But Jesus, if you're going to follow me, I expect you not only to love them, but to pray for those who persecute you. He talks about lust, he talks about adultery, he talks about being poor in spirit. I mean, he talks about a lot of stuff. And as we've gone through these chapters, I hope what we understand is that is the standard for how Jesus. Wants us to live. Because if you're like Doug, sometimes I'll read it and go, you know what? Yes, 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 but maybe I'm not so sure about that one. And I'm not sure I, I care too much about that one, but I'm going to work hard over here. No, no, no. This is the standard of leaving, living that Jesus has set for us. Now, as we've gone through this, hopefully what we found out is this is that when I look to the standard that Jesus calls me to, that then I turn and reflect on where am I actually at. And usually what we find out is this is the standard. And we're somewhere down here, right? And hopefully, for those of us that the Holy Spirit has been convicting us, we've made some new commitments to work toward meeting the standard that Jesus has said for us. Now here's what I know about commitments to the Lord. That typically when I feel this need and the Holy Spirit convicted me to make a new commitment to the Lord in an area that I'm not being as faithful in, typically I want to push back against that. Typically I want to fight that and resist that. Just like our kids do when they were little. You know when they were little and you told them to do something? I'm, I never forget the first time my oldest James looked me right in the eye and goes, no. You remember that parents? And then I remember the first time I spanked James because then, you know, that's what we did. So forgive me for that. But anyway, we we spanked our kids. We just believe, spare the rod, spoil the child. So anyway, we spanked our kids. And so he was like three years old and I spanked him. And I'll never forget when he looked me right in the eye with all defiance, he goes, that didn't hurt. So then I started spanking for distance, and so uh, we were able to overcome that. But the point is this, is that for most of us, when we look at the standards, we look at that, we pick and choose, but listen, it calls us to elevate our commitment. And when it calls us to elevate our commitment, many times we want to push back. Now, when you want to push back, here's what I would believe to be true. Is it possible that the reason something is stirred within us and we want to push back is because that's the very thing the Holy Spirit is saying that we need to be working on? And so today we're going to talk about a topic that all of you are going to push back on, and it's the topic of money. Now, let me say something about money real quickly here is this, is that I don't know why money is such a pushback for people in the church. I think maybe because, I, you know, I've talked to people, I like, you know, why is this such a big deal? Because listen, I will never make an apology about talking about money. And I'll tell you why, Jesus talked more about money in hell than anything else. And so I will make no apology. Now, I will say this. I will never tell you anything that's Doug's opinion. It will come straight from the word of God because that's kind of a big deal. So I'm not gonna make an apology for that, but I've asked people in the past, like, why is that such an offense to people when you talk about money? And here's what I've concluded. It's because money's personal, right? I mean, money's personal. You work hard. You work long hours, and you feel like there's a reward at the end of the day in, in this form of money. And so when you start talking about what God says about money, I mean, it's personal. In fact, I've had people like tell me this kind of idea, like, hey, you can talk about my marriage. You can talk about my parenting. You can talk about my behavior. You can talk about how I make decisions, but don't talk about how I manage and do what I do with my money. But yet Jesus spent a long time talking about what we do with money. So today, that's what we're going to tackle. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, and I want us to look at what does Jesus say about money. Now, before we get there, I want to backtrack a little bit and think about this. What is the world's mindset when it comes to money? What is the world's mindset? And I have three things I wrote down, and you probably have some better ideas than I do. But here's three things that popped up with me. Number one, go with your gut. That's kind of the world's mindset. Just go with your gut. Let your feelings and let your emotions drive how you spend your money. Drive how you do your finances. Hey, if you want to just go for it, don't really worry about the consequences. Just go with your gut. Now, you know how I know that's true? My family likes to shop at like Marshall's and Ross's and like TJ Maxx. Anybody shop there, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, have you noticed how the checkout lines are like 100 feet long? You know what I'm talking about? And you got like go 17 different angles and both sides of the walkway is saturated with stuff you never went into the store to purchase. But as you're checking out, you're thinking, well, that's cute. And then you buy it, right? This go with your gut mentality is all about this impulse buy. Some of you don't do it in a store. You're a QVC person, right? You see something on TV or the home shopping network and you buy it. I I had a friend of mine whose wife was like that. And he's like, man, she's, she's killing me because she'll see it and we don't need it We have all this stuff. Why? Because the world says, hey, just go with your gun if you want to get it. Another thing the world says is this. Accumulate credit card debt. Now, they don't say that overtly, but they want us to accumulate credit card debt. Hey, don't worry about a budget. Don't worry about overspending. If you want it, look, you deserve it. You've worked so hard, you need to reward yourself. Hey, listen, pay for it today, I mean, buy it today and pay for it later. It doesn't matter if it's a 25% interest rate, it doesn't matter. Just buy it today and pay for it later. The world says that. Now, on a sidebar, let me say this. Do you know what the leading cause of bankruptcy in the country today is? Credit card debt. Now, Dave Ramsey, talking about overspending, said this, and I quote, it's crazy how we buy things we don't need, with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Right? We do it all the time. Another thing the world says about money is this, and they say it kind of of subliminally, it's this, don't give money to God. Don't give to God. See, when you give faithfully to God, you're acknowledging that God owns everything. And don't do that. This is your money. You worked hard for this. This is your money. Keep it all to yourself. You deserve it. Now, the interesting thing about this, the reason I'm pointing out specifically these three is because, unfortunately, the mindset of the world has invaded the church, and we need to have a biblical mindset when it comes to finances, when it comes to money, when it comes to how we manage and how we allocate and how we steward the money that God has entrusted us with. So, what does Jesus say about money? If you have your Bible, it's Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 19 through 24, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Just stand with me if you would. Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in, is in you, is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24. No one, everybody say no one. No one can serve two masters. For you will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. All right, have a seat. Have a seat. Now, Jesus says three things that I want us to draw from this passage. Here's the first one. Don't lay up earthly treasures. Don't lay up earthly tre- treasures. In verse 19, he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. He's prohibiting the selfish accumulation of earthly goods. Now, I want to say that again. His prohibiting the selfish accumulation, the key word is accumulation, accumulation or the storing up of earthly goods. The phrase lay up literally means to store up. Now some of you, you real quickly, because you're way smarter than I am, you would have this kind of question. Does that mean I shouldn't have a savings account? That's not what it means at all. Does that mean I shouldn't take what what I've been trusted with and invest it for down the road when I hope to have a little time in my life where it's slower paced than what it is right now? I'm not saying that at all. Or are you saying that I shouldn't try to like pursue that job that I would like to have so I could better myself and have more to provide for my family? I'm not saying that at all. Jesus is not saying that. See, the point is not, the problem is not how we steward what God has given us. That's not what he's getting at. What he's getting at is this unbelievable obsession with more. Right? The accumulation, the storing up of something. What Jesus is driving down at and what his concern is with us wanting to hoard earthly treasures. So it's not the issue of, hey, I want to put money in savings account, I want to put money in investment, or hey, I want to get that job so I can make more to provide. That's not the issue. The issue is for those of us that have this obsessive personality that says, I want more. Because when you say more, what you're saying is I'm never content. And do you know contentment is a biblical concept? Did you know that? That being content with where God has me and what God's doing in my life, that is a biblical concept. And when we have this craving for more, there's never contentment. And Jesus is prohibiting this selfish accumulation of more. He's prohibiting the desire to hoard all that you have and to keep it to me, myself, and I. Now, Jesus says something interesting here. He says, don't store for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth Destroy and where thieves can come in and steal now that does not really resonate with us But jesus was telling that for a reason because in that day and time There were three primary ways that people would treasure earthly things there are three ways They would do it number one and and what he's just said here made perfect sense to them number one They would collect garments. That's one thing that they would do the people in that day and time that didn't have a lot of money. They would do all they could to collect garments now Why would they collect garments because they could use those garments to barter? to get something else that they needed. So they gather all these garments and they barter them. Now, the reason they did it was because for somehow, if you collect enough garments and you can barter and get what you want, at some level, it would give you a sense of independence. Like, I don't have to depend on the government. I don't have to depend on my family. I don't have to depend on anybody else because I've gained my own wealth because I've got all these garments. I can barter them. It's giving me a sense of independence. That's why they did it. Here's the problem. What are garments susceptible to? Moths, right? You can store up all of these clothes all day long. But at the end of the day, what's the one thing that can come and destroy all the clothes you saved up? Moths, right? So they would store up, they would gather these garments. The second thing they would do is they would store grain in barns, which makes it a lot of sense, right? They would store their grain in barns. Now, why would they do that? Because we're not very familiar with that idea. We, we see farmers that do that, but why do, why do they do that? Because in that day and time and around the time of Jesus, famine was not an uncommon thing in that land. It wasn't like they had these great farming communities. I mean, famine came a lot of the different times. and You can go back in the Old Testament and that geographical area and look at how much time famine hit that land. And so the thought was, if we can put all this extra grain in a barn and store it, it will help us so when famine comes, we won't be without, which makes total sense, doesn't it? Now, why do they do it? Because they thought if they put grain in barns, it would give them not a sense of independence, but a sense of security. Right? We're going to be secure. Here's the problem. You know what attacks grain in barns? Rust. I know what you're thinking. How does rust? Well, the word rust in the Greek means to eat away at. That's all it means, to eat away at. So have you seen rust? My dad had a 1965 Ford pickup, and it had rust on it, and that rust was eating away at the fender. That's all it means. It means to eat away at. Well, what eats away at rice or grain? Bugs, mice, rats right? I mean, anything that can get its hands on it. So the problem is you're going to store all this stuff up to bring security for you, but at the end of the day, there's some things that can take that away from you. There's some things that can contaminate what you're trying to store up. A third thing that they would do, which I found most interesting in my studies with this, is they would exchange assets for gold. They would take whatever they could, and they would get rid of it to try to acquire gold. Why? Because gold still trumped everything. You could buy anything with gold now check this out the historian Jewish historians would tell you this what they did was they would take this gold that they just got by the trade assets and they would take it and they would hide it inside the walls of their home or they would hide it under the floors in their house I thought that's probably a great idea right I mean they put it in the walls they put it in the floor but here's the problem what is that susceptible to thieves right People know you're hiding gold in your walls or on your floor, and when they come in, they're going to steal. Now, why do they do this? Because they thought if they had gold, that meant they had power. The problem is thieves could come in and destroy. So when Jesus gave this illustration about storing up earthly treasures because rust and moth and thieves come in and destroy it, they totally understood what he was talking about. They totally understood that, okay, that that us gathering garments is not going to work because moths are going to attack that. And it doesn't bring a sense of independence. We understand that if we put grain in barns, that's not really going to work because there's going to be things that come eat away at that. And that's not going to really bring us a sense of security. And this whole idea of exchanging gold, well, we know that that that, that doesn't really bring power because somebody can come and steal our power. Right? Now, here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. The reason they treasured earthly things is the same reason we treasure money and earthly things. Here it is. Because we think if we have more of it, it will bring us independence. We think if we have more of it, it will bring us greater security. We think if we have more of it, we will have greater power. And here's what Jesus would contend in this passage. You're making a bad investment. When you put all your eggs in the basket of trying to gain independence and security and power by collecting earthly treasures and earthly things, you're making a bad investment. Why? Why is it a bad investment? Here's why. Because you can't take it with you. Right? Amen? Have you known? Come on. Amen? amen? You can't take it with you. And listen, the things that you acquire on this earth are temporary. It can be here today and gone tomorrow. Do you remember the market crash of was 2008? I was like 35, 36 years old and I had a decent amount in my retirement and when it crashed the next day, it was like 50% less than it was the day before. And I'm thinking, okay, what about someone who's like 64 in like 364 days and gonna retire at 65 and the crash hits? Can you imagine that? So we build all this stuff up because we think it brings independence and security and power, but it could be here today and gone tomorrow, right? Jesus says when you spend your life trying to hoard up money, earthly treasures, it's a bad investment. When I was a kid, my brother loved to play the game Monopoly. Anybody like Monopoly? I hate Monopoly, I hate it. There's some variations, who said no over here? Nancy, I'm with you, girl. So there's some variations that are okay, but my brother loved to play Monopoly, here's why. First of all, my brother's four years older than I am, and my brother knows all the rules, and that we were little, and my brother knew how to lie and manipulate the rules that I didn't know, because I wouldn't take time to read the rules. But every time we played Monopoly, it was always interesting. Because when the game was over, or toward the end, my brother seemed to have all the properties. He seemed to be the bank when it was all said and done. And he would manipulate. He would like, so hey, you trade me, trade me like, you know, uh, Boardwalk for 20 bucks because you have no money. And I would do it. And so, I mean, he would just like, at the end of the game, I'm like, I have nothing. And he has everything. But here's the best part of the game. The best part of the game. You ready? At the end, it all just goes back in the box. Right? Did he gain anything? Nothing. Listen to me, listen to me. Here's the point. We gain nothing from spending our lives trying to invest in earthly money because at the end of the day, it doesn't go with us. It all goes back in the box. Right? Now, Jesus says this. Look at me. He says, not only do I not want you to store up earthly treasures, but rather lay up heavenly treasures. Verse 20, he said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in. And still, now what is Jesus saying? I want you to accumulate and treasure eternal things. That's what he's saying. I want you to lay up treasures in heaven, meaning I want you to value eternal things, not temporal things, eternal things. I want you to trade earthly trinkets for eternal things. That's what he's saying. Now what eternal things is he talking about? Well, we know that there's a few things that are eternal. The Word of God's eternal, right? We know that. We know the souls of men are eternal. Everybody's gonna live somewhere for all eternity. Did you know that? Did you know that? Amen? Amen. And the third thing is the kingdom of God is eternal. His kingdom shall reign for what? Ever. So what he's saying is, I want you to accumulate and I want you to treasure eternal things. I want you to invest in the souls of man. I want you to invest in the kingdom of God. I want you to be an investor and to the people to lead them to Christ, and I want you to invest in building up my kingdom on this earth. That's why we pray that your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm a part of that. You're a part of that. We are to invest, not in the souls of man, but the kingdom of God, and let God's will be done on this earth. Now, how do we do that? I want to give you three things real quickly. It's not in your listening guide. You're going to want to write this down. Three ways we can invest in the souls of man, the kingdom of God, and I'm going to spend my time on the third one, because it's the tenor of the passage, the first one is this, with your time. With your time. If you really want to invest in the souls of man, it takes time. You've got to build relationships. Well, Doug, I mentioned it, it doesn't matter. There are people that are lost and are going to split hell wide open, and we need to start caring about that. Amen? I mean, some of us, we walk around days, I mean, listen, we live in a lost world. It's not getting better. It's not going to get better until one day when Jesus splits the skies and calls us home. It's not going to get any better. And it's going to take time investing in the souls of man. The second thing it's going to take is our talents. Do you know that God has given every one of you that are a believer or follower of Him a spiritual gift? Did you know that? Come on, only half of you are with me this morning. Did 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 you know that? That if you're a follower of Jesus, you're being a spiritual gift. And here's my question to you Do you know what that gift is and are you using that gift? Because at the end of the day, one of the ways we invest in the souls of man and the kingdom of God is by using the gift that God has given us to build up his kingdom and to build up his people. Time, talent. And here's the last one. You're going to love this one. Guess what the third one is? Guess what the third one is? Time, talent, and treasure, right? Treasure. One of the greatest ways we can invest in the kingdom of God is with our finances and by giving. Now, I'm going to say a whole lot about giving right here, and I want you to hear my heart this morning. God does not need your money. Did you know that? He doesn't need need our money. And we know that because in the prayer that Jesus gave us, he says, our Father who are in heaven, and we said that when he's in heaven, that means that he's reigning, he's ruling, that all resources are at his disposal. I mean, God spoke six times and said, let it be, and it was. He doesn't need our money. I mean, everything is at his disposal. So why does giving such a big deal? Because giving, God implemented giving to keep our hearts in check. God implemented giving to keep his believers and his followers' hearts in check. Because you know what? God knows us. God knows our propensities. God knows that we are going to battle putting money on the throne of our life instead of him. He knows we're going to crave money more than we crave him sometimes. And so he knew our hearts, he knew our sinfulness, and he implemented the idea of giving so that we would keep our hearts in check and not fall in love with money, but fall deeper in love with him. He knew that. So what did he do in the Old Testament? He implemented what was called the tithe. What does tithe mean? Anybody know? A tenth. It means a tenth. Now, I should have done this, and I apologize for not doing it, but just have to, can you just imagine with me a moment? Can you just imagine? They Say, yes, I can do that. Okay, great. Five of you. Here we go. Just imagine, imagine I had 10 trash bags filled full of money. Who wouldn't love 10 trash bags filled full of money? Okay, you're like, should I say that because he's talking about, okay, yeah. Yeah, we'd all love that, right? So if I had 10 trash bags filled full of money, and all that represented your monthly income, here's what God asked for. One. One. And what do you get to keep? Nine. But taking that one is like pulling teeth, isn't it? It's like, oh, you know, we have no problem spending the night because, listen, look, you can look at me, and know that Doug loves to eat out. I mean, so we have no problem spending it on other things. We have no problem going to movies, going on vacation. But when it comes to giving the Lord what He asks of us, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I, you know, and I hear people say this all the time, which is the stupidest thing in the world. I just don't have any extra income. If you have change in the ash, old ashtray of your car, you have extra money. I've had people all the time say, I don't have any extra. Well, you could probably, I mean, you have extra. We live in a world where we are spoiled. We are spoiled. And he says, I just want, I want a tenth. See, listen, hear my heart. Giving is a big deal to God. In fact, listen to this passage. It's going to be on the screen. Malachi chapter three, you know this. It's a familiar passage. He says this, for I, the Lord, do not change, meaning this principle, what I'm about to say, is good all the time, everywhere. I do not change. Therefore, children of Jacob, are you not consumed? From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Meaning you rebelled against me. Return to me and I will return to you. In other words, you've walked away and i have just let you go. But if you come back like a prodigal son, I'm coming back after you. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And he says, will a man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and your offerings? In other words, you're saying, how do I return? Well, the re- the way I want you to return is the way you exited. At some point, you quit giving to me. You started robbing me, and you started robbing me of your tithes and your offerings. And then he says this, you are cursed with the curse, for you, are full, you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby... Test me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the, hev- the windows of heaven and pour down for you blessing until there is no need. That's a fantastic passage of scripture. Because in that passage, Jesus tells us, it reminds us, or the, the, Malachi reminds us, Lord Lord reminds us that the tithe is what God requires of us. But here's the cool thing. He tells us why the tithe. Because if we're unwilling to give back to God, he says, you're robbing me. Have you ever thought about that? Have, have you ever thought about that? How many of you would view robbing a store a bad idea? Okay, some of you don't. <laughs> some of you are like, I don't, I don't know. Some, nobody, some like half the middle didn't raise their hand. Okay. Let's try that again. How do you think robbing somebody is a bad idea? Okay, there's still a couple of you honoring people. Okay, so, so anyway, so it's a bad idea. And he said, listen, when you choose, listen, when you choose, when I say there's 10 trash bags here and you choose not to honor me with the one, because listen, I don't need your money. I'm just doing this to keep your heart in check. And when you choose not to give the one, you're robbing me. He tells us why the tithe is so important. Why giving so important? Because we're robbing God if we don't do that. And then he says this. He tells us where we're to give it. He said, bring the whole tithe where? To the storehouse. Now, that's a word we don't use all the time much anymore. But the storehouse in the Old Testament would have referred to the place of worship, the tabernacle or the synagogue where they went. Wherever they worshiped at, that was considered their storehouse, a place where they were fed physically and spiritually. Do you know where your storehouse is? It's right here. It's East Campus at this school. This is your place of worship. He said, I want you to bring it to the storehouse. But then he tells us, most importantly, the promise if we're obedient. He said, I will open up. Test me. This, you know this is the only time in Scripture God says, testing. Did you know that? The only time in Scripture God's like, I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is so test me on this. If you don't believe me, try me out. And he says, I will open the floodgates of heaven and I will pour out so much blessing, you won't have enough room for it. How many of you want that? I mean, come on, how many of you want that kind of blessing? I mean, listen, God will bless us in a way that's better than the way you think God should bless you. He says, if you were faithful to me, I will blow your socks off. That's what he's saying. He implemented the tithe in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament. Let me say this about the New Testament. Jesus raises the bar in the New Testament. I've had people have conversations with me, and they'll say something like this. Jesus never clearly taught on the tithe, therefore that we're not to obey the tithe, to which I lovingly say to them, you're wrong. Because Jesus says, I've come not to abolish the law, but to what? That means Jesus was a tither, right? Right? You know, there's a point where somebody came to Jesus and says, well, should we pay Caesar? What are we going to do about paying our taxes? And Jesus said this, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to what? Give to God what belongs to God, implying there's an amount that belongs to God. Give it to God. And you know, the only compliment, you've heard me say this before, the only compliment Jesus gave the Pharisees was they were tithers. They were hypocritical everywhere else, but they were tithers. It's the only compliment he gave them. So Jesus in the Gospels, in in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, you can read it later, he raises the bar above the tithe. In chapter 12, he tells a parable about a rich guy that got so much stuff that he says, I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. And there's going to come a day I'm going to say to my soul, Oh soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, because I'm going to have enough money to last me years. And Jesus says, he'll be told, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. And then he goes on to say this. Listen, he says, and so will be with all of us, who are not rich toward God. And did you hear that? Jesus just raised the bar. See, some of you in the room are like me, man. You're tithers. You give ten percent, and you've been faithful for years. I mean, it took me a long time in my life to learn that. And the Holy Spirit speaking through my wife with a firm tone really helped me with that many, many years ago, early in our marriage. But here's what I want to say to you: Is that all? Some like, man, I'm a tither, I'm great. No, no, no. Jesus says, listen, I want, that's, that's the bar. But I want you to raise the bar in your life. I want you to be rich toward God. Now, he doesn't define it with like, oh, that means 20. No, no, no. He just says, I, this is the bar, but I want you to be rich toward God. I want you to exceed that bar. It's like being a high jumper. What happens when you hit the bar? Nothing. What does he want you to do? Go over the bar. And so the New Testament, Jesus raises the bar. Now, Jesus knows, listen, like many of you in the room today, all right, listen to me. Like many in the room right now, you're beginning to sweat a whole lot. You're wanting to push back, and you've got a lot of buts and ifs and ands. Jesus knows his audience is probably going to push back on what he just said about don't treasure earthly trinkets, but store up heavenly treasure. Be eternally minded. Invest in the kingdom of God. And the best way to do it is with your time, your talents, and your treasures, your money matters to the kingdom of God, because it's our way to keep our heart in check, but it's also a way to build and to invest into God's kingdom. And Jesus must have known that people were going to push back, because he makes a powerful statement next in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what he's saying? If you find everything inside of you raising up right now, it's really a reflection of where your heart's at on this issue. It is. Can I tell you, there was a season in my life I was in ministry, and I was 21 years old, and I did not give to the church. I'm ashamed of that. And like I said, my wife, through the Holy Spirit and a firm voice in my life, corrected me of that. And I had to learn some hard lessons. Because I had every excuse in the world that I only make $190 every two weeks, and I'm traveling 90 miles. Two, I, mean, I mean, of course, gas back then for young ones was like 98 cents a gallon. Okay, so, But I mean, I had every excuse in the world why I couldn't. And when God changed that in my heart, when my heart changed, I'm telling you, everything about my life changed. I saw the favor and the blessing and the the provision, the faithfulness of God like I'd never seen it before in my life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, however you feel about this issue is a reflection of where your heart's at. If you treasure earthly things like money, that's where your heart's at. If you treasure eternal things, guess what? It's going to be evident in your heart. And then Jesus kind of gives them a moment of reflection here in verse 22. He says this. If you're with me, say, I'm still with you, Doug. Man, I hope you are. Here we go. The eye is the lamp of the body. We know that because that's how light gets into our body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I mean, there's, he's not, this is not new. This is, we all know that. And then he says this, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I want to know, is your heart healthy? If your treasure and your heart are in sync, is your heart healthy? Do you treasure earthly things? Are you treasuring eternal things? Is your heart, it's a moment where Jesus is calling his people to set and reflect at where their heart's at. And then he leads to the third thing I want you to notice this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Just simply let me say this, there is only room for one on the throne in your life only one. And I promise you, money and God are battling it out, but there's only room for one. Listen, you can't have God and money on the throne of your life at the same time. You know why? Because they both require single-minded devotion. But don't we try really hard? Don't we try to love God and live for God and still crave more of this? See, God and money can't occupy the the throne at the same time, but we sure try to make it work. So, the question is, which one occupies? You can't serve both. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say, You can't serve both God and money? It's because people try to serve both God and money. And He said, You can't do it. See, if money's on the throne of your life, it will say this everything you have, it's yours. You earned it. You deserve it. It's your money. But if God's on the throne of your life, listen, here's what He'll say No, 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 no. It's all mine. You're a manager not an owner. And I want you to use what I've entrusted you with to build my kingdom, not your kingdom. Did you hear that? I want you to take what I've entrusted you with to build my kingdom, not your kingdom. It's interesting because you look at this passage, Jesus calls them out. He calls them out and challenges their heart. Do they desire the temporal or do they desire the eternal? And then he reminds them of something very important. you got to make a choice. You can't serve both. Now, here's the question I have for us today. You ready? We have to make a choice. And the choice is, how are we going to choose to live our life? Are we going to choose to live our life serving money, which means we're going to hoard it all up, and we're going to work on building our kingdom? Or are we going to choose to live our life for God and learn to be a giver and build up his kingdom? You have to make a choice which way you're going to live. Are we going to live to serve money? Are we going to live to serve God? Now, here's what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to close your Bibles, close your books, close your notes, because now I just want to share big time in my heart of a challenge that I have for all of us today. Today, here's the challenge. I'm going to ask you to take an enormous step in your journey of faith. First of all, I want you to acknowledge that everything belongs to God. Can you acknowledge that today? Everything belongs to Him. Every good gift is from where? From God, every good gift, it all belongs to God. Secondly, I would like you to acknowledge that you are a manager, not an owner. Everything you have is not yours, it is His, and He's entrusted you with it. But, Doug, I work so hard. No, no, no. Who gives you the health to work? He does. Who gives you the opportunity, the intellect to do what you do? He did, right? I want you to acknowledge that all belongs to him and that you are a manager, not an owner. And third thing I want you to do is I want you to make a commitment to give to the Lord. I want you, and you may have talked to your spouse about this, but let me just just say this to you. I want you to make a commitment, wherever you find yourself, to start giving to the Lord, giving to the storehouse to build up his kingdom and continue the ministry of this local church. Here's how I want you to do that. For some of you in the room, and I don't know anybody but me and Sonia, for some of you in the room today, you give nothing. You normally don't give anything. I don't know who you are, but maybe that's you. Here's my challenge for you. Start somewhere. Start giving something. And some of you go, okay, Doug, you just spent like 30 minutes talking about the tithe, and now you're going to tell them just to give something? Well, listen, Jesus always met people where they were, didn't he? Amen? He did. In fact, let me give you an example. John chapter 21, Jesus is coming to Peter, who just denied him three times, and Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, I love you, Lord. Now, the word love Jesus uses, do you agape me, unconditionally love me? You know what the word Peter used? I phileo you. I brotherly love you. Not the same thing, is it? The second time he asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord. I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Not the same thing. The third time, you know what Jesus says? Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. I love you like a brother. Jesus met Peter where he was, but never intended to keep him where he was. Did you hear me? Come on, everybody look at me. Did you hear me? He met him where he was, but he never intended to keep him where he was. So if you're giving nothing, here's my prayer for you, that you'll make a commitment to start somewhere. Because when you start seeing the faithfulness of God in your life, you won't stay there. I promise you that. Start somewhere. Or if you're what I call a random giver, like, oh, I got like seven bucks in my pocket, and you just throw it in there, would you pray about being a percentage giver? And be a, a percentage of, of faith. You know, I, I don't know if I can do this, but I, here's, a, here's a faith step for me percentage-wise. Because guess what? He'll meet you where you are, but promise you he won't keep you where you are. Because the more you give and the more you see God's faithfulness and blessing on your life, the more you're going to want to give out of the overflow of your love for him, not out of obligation. Do you get that? And then there's some of you in the room, like many of us, who are tithers. You give 10%. Well, would we pray about being rich toward God and what does that mean for us, what does it mean to go beyond and give to the Lord? I'm asking the sacrificial. And I'm asking all of us to take a step today. Now listen to this. If you are a member of Cross Life East and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to make that, I want all of us to make this commitment, but especially those of you that are members and Cross Life East, next week I'm gonna ask you to put your money where your mouth is. I'm gonna ask you, if you're saying, I'm really gonna make this commitment, I'm gonna ask you, because we're gonna have some nice pink or salmon, color, I don't know what they are, cards, and we're going to hand them out, and we're going to ask you to put down what you plan on giving to the church in 2019. I know some of you are like, whoop, just kind of your blood pressure went straight through the roof. Listen to me. Here's why that's important. First of all, only one person on the, either campus is going to know. It's Donna Moore who works at the OVito campus because she puts in the data. Nobody's going to know. I'm not going to, nobody's going to know. So you need to know that. Second of all, nobody's going to call you and go, hey, you're a little behind today. I mean, nobody's doing that. Don't stress about that. You know why it's important for the church to do this? Is because it lets the church know what the people of God are going to do so the church can be responsible in stewarding what God is going to trust them with. The church is being responsible. But can I tell you why it's important for me to fill out a card and why it's important for you to fill out a card? Because it's accountability. It's a sense of me taking good intentions and making a real commitment. From just a good idea to God, I put, listen, when I put my name down, when I pay that, when I put my name down on a piece of paper to pay for the house that I'm in, you know what? I'm going to pay for the house that I'm in. I'm going to make that payment every month. I mean, that's going to be something that every month before the first month, I'm going to know I'm going to make this payment. Do I have to make it? Yes. But at the end of the day, I want to make it because I don't want to be homeless, right? So it's accountability. Let me give you another reason it's important. For us to put our name on that card and give an amount, it's important because of this. We're saying to our family and to ourselves that we are investing and buying into the kingdom of God. We are partners with God. Isn't that awesome? I am partnering with God financially. And he will take my minuscule amount and he will do extraordinary things with it. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a member of this church next week, I'm going to ask you to fill out that card. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not a member, I still encourage you to fill out that card. And for those who are members, we want you to do that. And we're not going to watch you, see who does and doesn't. We want you to do it. Why? Because it's a sign. It's a step of faith, a step of commitment. So here's my prayer today as we close. My prayer is simple, that we would just check our hearts, that we would say, oh God, am I, am, I, am, I, am I pursuing money and earthly trinkets more than I'm pursuing eternal things like the souls of man and the kingdom of God? And then if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would take a moment and you would get your heart right today. Maybe you need to come pray. Maybe you're pursuing the almighty dollar way more than you're pursuing God and you need to get that right. And then here's my second prayer for those of you that are followers is that we would take a step. If you're giving nothing, give something. If you're just randomly giving, start being a percentage giver, working toward that 10%. And if you're a tither, if you're a tither, 10%, would you pray about what does it mean to be rich toward God? I promise you, Your finances, like your voice, will never return void when it's in the hands of God. Never. And last thing I want to say is this. If you don't know Christ today, you've heard me talk a lot about money. And maybe you're uncomfortable, but here's what I want you to be comfortable with. He only asked us for a portion of what he's given us. But do you know what he gave us? He gave us everything. He gave us his one and only son to die for us. So he doesn't even come close to asking us to give what he gave us. And what he gave you is the gift of his son so that you can have the hope of salvation. And if you've never put your faith in him, if you would do that today, or let me know, I would love to pray with you. Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed as we pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for today. I know this is one of those passages where you know we have to have some clarity on it, but God, I, I, bel- I know in my life, my, my life, and as I know, as we hear the story next week from Randy about his, his journey, that God, I, I know in my life, I don't have a problem talking about this because I know how you blessed me when I decide to be obedient to you. And so, God, I pray for us. I pray for everybody in the room that we, for those of us that are believers, that we would just check our heart today and we would just ask ourselves, are we spending our life pursuing the almighty dollar? Are we spending our life pursuing eternal things like the souls of man and like investing in the kingdom of God. And they God, we would get our hearts right today. And that God, I pray as it comes to our finances, that we would take a serious step, that we would acknowledge it's not ours. It's all yours. We are simply a manager of what you've entrusted us with. And God, I I pray for people today that are struggling. I pray that if they're giving nothing, that they would pray and just have that step of faith and just start giving something. Or if they're just kind of randomly giving, that they would start being a percentage giver and be more faithful in their giving. And God, I pray that you would blow their socks off with how you bless them and how you're faithful to them and how you care about them. And then I pray for those of us that that are tithers, that you would challenge our hearts about what it means to be rich toward you. God, as believers today, may you just break our hearts. May you open our eyes. And may we realize today that as we give, and in a moment, many of us are gonna have the opportunity to put money into the offering baskets, that when we do that, we are investing in your kingdom work through this local body of believers. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Thank you that we can do that. And God, I pray for the one who doesn't know you today. May they recognize the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Is a relationship with Jesus, the one who spared no expense, but gave his life on a cross for us. So God, be with us, bless this time as we sing about who you are. May we recommit ourselves to you. May we recommit our devotion to you. But may you help us take a step today. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And everybody said amen. Now listen, this altar is going to be open. Maybe you want to come pray about which step you need to take. Maybe there's some other junk in your life and you want to come pray. Please do it. But whatever you do, please let's not leave this place without responding to the Lord the way we feel the Holy Spirit is nudging us today. Let's worship together. Patrick, you lead us.